most of the time I'm being hired to dramatically scale a company. We're looking at, you know, 50 to 100% or more uh, growth per year, you know, when I get involved. And, and honestly, one of the first questions I talk to leadership, you know, I'll sit down with the CEO, with the founder, you know, if they're running the company. And, you know, we have a kind of frank, honest conversation of do they really want to do this? Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up. So buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales, marketing, providing great service, etc., and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that will help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Bruce Eckfeld. Bruce is a entrepreneur, former Inc. 500 CEO, consultant, coach, author, and speaker on organizational development and performance management, and I'm super excited to have Bruce on the show. Bruce and I know each other very well through Entrepreneurs Organization, and I get to have his wisdom basically on a monthly basis at our you know, forum meeting. So I'm super excited to have our listeners get to hear his wisdom as well. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here. Fun, fun. I'm excited as well to, to chat about this topic. Oh, that's great. So, so listen, uh, before we get into what you're doing now and all the things that you've accomplished, I want to take you back. Uh, growing up um, for you, that was Minnesota, right? So growing yeah. up in growing up in Minnesota, when you were a little kid, uh, what did you want to be when you grow up? Because I had a feeling it probably wasn't a business coach. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my joke was I would tell my mother I wanted to be an artist and then marry a rich woman. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, it was an architect. I, I uh, ultimately became an architect uh, and it kind of tied into that art background. Uh, and that's how I started my career. Um, and I, I made several pivots between uh, when I uh, trained as an architect to what I do now. But uh, it's been a fun journey. Uh, it's been a, uh, a lot of interesting uh, experiences and interesting opportunities that I've had. And I'm very appreciative of it. So uh, what, what would you, however you define it, what would you consider your first real business? Yeah, I mean, I think my well, if, if you go really back, I sold bubble gum in in sixth grade, uh, <laughs> and uh, they shut me down after there was too much bubble gum on the bottom of the desks. Uh, but I think the first real kind of business um, venture that I had uh, early, you know, sort of post uh, post college um, was the company that I founded uh, in two thousand two. Uh, working in software development. And, and then, you know, I think like many stories, it was kind of an accident. <laughs> we had, uh, I was in a company, I wasn't super happy. I had an opportunity to uh, work with an organization that wanted to build out a new software package. Uh, they were interested in hiring me to do it. I had a friend. Uh, we had to put an LLC together to kind of start the project. Uh, and that project led to another one, which led to another one. And before we knew it, we, we had a company up and running. Uh, so it was a little, um, uh, I don't know about a surprise, but it was a little accidental that we got the business kind of up and running as quickly as we did. But, um, you know, it's, it's where I kind of really got into the CEO seat and the entrepreneurial uh, mode. 
And was that the company that you eventually ended up taking uh, to Inc. 500 or was that, that a previous company? Yeah, it was. Um, so that was a company we started uh, 2002, 2003, uh, uh, scaled it actually quite quickly, uh, ended up on the Inc. 500 list in 2009. Um, and we had, I think, five consecutive years on the Inc. 5000. So we, we went through a series of uh, pretty significant uh, years of growth uh, between about 2008 and 2011, 2012. So I'm sure that uh, a lot of that was organic growth of various types, uh, you know, through getting more business and sales and marketing. But uh, were there any uh, types of deals that you did during that time to help grow the company? Yeah, we did. Um, we we opened a Boston office. We were based here in New York uh, for um, uh, much of that period, but we had a big client in Boston and we said, decided that we were going to do some work uh with some other companies there. So we decided to open a Boston office and we kind of did a little bit of an aqua hire uh, situation where we had uh, some senior folks that had some traction, uh, early stage traction. We, there was no, um, uh, you know, capital kind of exchange. Uh, we, we came in and uh, basically made them senior folks inside the company as part of that. And it was, you know, what we realized was, you know, going out and trying to put our own team together and kind of build it from the ground up ourselves uh, was just just not going to be feasible. It was going to distract us too much from the New York business. Uh, and so, you know, finding some some specific senior folks that could really help us um, get that up and running faster was was key for us. Um, and, and I, it, it's certainly something that I find it's, you know, you can you can do it. You can go into a new geography and you can, uh, you know find the people, find the clients, but having a foothold just accelerates that whole process and reduces the risk. So, so I love that phrase, aqua hire, and I want to explain it to our listeners because yeah, I find that, uh, I find that uh, so many, th- this, is, this is a way that a lot of companies really do grow. And it, it, is, it is, you know, what I would consider a deal. And, and it's often positioned out to the marketplace as some sort of, you know, acquisition when it's really not from a legal yeah. point of view, because you're not, you're not acquiring assets, you're not acquiring equity. Really what you're doing is you're hiring somebody, uh, you're cutting a deal with them to say, hey, come in, we're going to take over you know, your business. Let's say you know, they have clients, they may have clients, they may have business, they may have office space, et cetera. But really the structure behind it is not, they're not getting equity, they're not getting cash up front. You're, you're, you're hiring them and paying them and you, know, you may have some sort of incentive um, yep. compensation uh, built in there. But the point is uh, that, you know, I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit about, you know, your experience with it. But the thing for, for our listeners that's important is, you know, this is a great example of a, of a type of deal that many companies use to grow, you know, organically that does not take capital, uh, uh, any upfront money and where you uh, aren't necessarily even giving away equity. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I find it's particularly common or works particularly well in service-based businesses or businesses that have a pretty strong service component to them, um, which basically means that, you know, you've got people who are key to the delivery of the value. Um, you know, they have particular relationships or skill sets or certifications. And, and uh, you know, when you're dealing with people like that, you're not dealing with kind of hard assets that you're, you're acquiring. Um, you know, there, there's, it's squishy, right? I mean, the, the, the people are not, uh, uh, you know, things that you can kind of uh, buy and sell that easily, you know, at least based on my current understanding of the law. Um, but, uh, you know, an ac- sort of these aqua hires are this approach of, of finding uh, individuals or small teams, uh, groups that have, um, you know, have capabilities, have uh, experience working together, oftentimes that's a really uh, powerful kind of asset, a, a team that has 
perform together, has worked together, and they have experience and, and have developed uh, kind of higher level capabilities. Uh, and to some extent, you know, clients, relationships, uh, you know, sometimes we're looking at kind of brands or we're looking at, uh, you know, some kind of brand recognition, awareness. Uh, usually there's, it's, it's very tied into the individuals. So there's some kind of thought leadership uh, component to it. Uh, but yeah, they can be great ways um, to, to build out the business. Like I said, we, we did it in, uh, in our case because we had, we had some uh, demand. We had uh, clients that needed services. We needed people on the ground that we know could perform. We didn't want to take the time or take the risk of having to build our own teams. So uh, bringing in people that actually had, um, had experience working together Basically, yeah, cutting, uh, you know, deal. They were, you know, effectively employees with uh, incentive programs that had to do with, uh, you know, if they were bringing in work, if they were bringing in clients uh, that had uh, revenue potential, um, working out a deal for, um, uh, you know, cut of that realized potential, uh, and then performance on existing contracts, you know, to the extent that we have business that they were going to execute on, you know, providing, you know, good uh uh, you know, incentives, monetary incentives to to help them uh, realize the value that we were hoping to bring to the table. Um, and for them, it was a great way to scale up their business and have, you know, a lot more kind of access to people. Uh, you know, scaling service-based businesses is not easy. So it's a nice way to kind of bootstrap that. Yeah, and I'm great you mentioned that because, you know, I was going to say that from the company, from your company's point of view or the quote-unquote acquirer's point of view, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, I think it's uh, it maybe easy to see the reasons you may do it. You, you know, you mentioned geographical expansion opportunities and you may be bringing in certain expertise that you don't have, you know, just uh, the ability to, to, to scale quicker. You know, uh, it's some, a lot easier sometimes to get those kind of personnel than to find them on a hiring basis. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, they already work together. They, you know, if it's a multiple people, they already work together as a team. So you have yep. a, you know, you don't have to build, <laughs> rebuild that, that, that teamwork, et cetera. Um, yeah. But from the, from the point of view of the, um, you know, of, of the other side of, of the, of the people that you're now going to employ, um, you know, I guess in some cases you, you might have some challenges, right? They're, they're entrepreneurs, they have their own company and now you're uh, asking them to come in and join your company uh, where they we're inevitably listening, no matter what we say, they're going to lose some level of control and freedom, even though you can give them some protections around that. Um, so yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, not only what you've seen in that particular deal, but I know uh, the clients uh, that you coach now as a business yeah. coach, these kind of things come up. So, you know, what do you see are the reasons and the way you can uh, approach or convince uh, companies like this? Or, or, or even if you're, you know, if one of our listeners is on the other side and they're uh, considering uh, joining up with a bigger firm, like what, what are the reasons for them to do that? So, uh, yeah, I mean, so in, I'll, I'll talk about my experience and then I can talk about some of the uh, clients that I've worked with uh, that I coach and, and some of the so the deals and, and what we look at when we're looking at uh, either acquisitions or, or being acquired. Um, you know, I think the, the, the thing I learned in that process was um, th- there's kind of the skill fit, you know, is the, the functional, what are the capabilities you need? What are the, um, you know, the services that you're trying to provide and, and what kind of skills and experiences and capabilities. And there's this kind of uh, fit around the ability to do the work. Uh, and then there's this other access around sort of culture and values uh, and, you know, that's, it, it's a harder one to assess and it's a harder one to kind of evaluate pre-deal. Um, but oftentimes it's the one that has a much bigger impact in terms of the ultimate success of, of the deal itself. Um, you know, typically we can, we can kind of make the functional stuff work pretty well 
you know, in terms of being able to get the work done, uh, but the the cultural fit, um, you know, how you make decisions, how you prioritize, uh, particularly in high growth situations. You know, when you're when you're growing, you're you're dealing with lots of decisions, and you're having to change policies and structure and how you do things and how you operate. And, and in those decisions is sort of the, the realization, the manifestation of your values. And if you don't have good value uh, alignment, it, you're going to have drama and you're going to have conflict. And, and I would say we did okay. Um, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't perfect. Uh, we definitely had uh, some things that we disagreed on about how things should operate. Uh, and some of it was more kind of personal. Some of it was uh, just sort of the difference between the environment, so the difference between kind of New York and Boston and kind of the, the culture, the working cultures in these uh, between the locations. Um, I mean, I think that I, that's where I kind of learned the importance of evaluating that. And honestly, the, the way to evaluate that, you have to spend some time. Uh, you know, it's not something you can do through a survey. It's not something you can do looking at someone's resume. Um, spending time uh, working through issues, working together on projects, um, you know, is where we kind of found uh, – we found out if there was that kind of cultural alignment. Um, so it's really been, been important to me as we work through, you know, as a coach now working with companies that are, they're dealing with either acquiring companies or becoming acquired it is really kind of sitting down and evaluating that, that aspect. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, how do you actually do that? Like I said, spending time together, um, you know, asking about how they've done previous deals. Uh, one of the things I love to do is talk to um, people that have been acquired previously. So if we're doing a situation where uh, we're going to be, they're being acquired by somebody, uh, talk to other companies they've acquired in the last two years, uh, talk with the people uh, that have been acquired, find out what it was like, um, learn about their culture before and after. Um, if we're doing the acquiring uh, typically what I recommend is some kind of project, uh, you know, doing some kind of project together to kind of kick the tires for both sides. Um, date, you know, if, date, if, date before you get married. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, look, I, you know, once you get married, things change too. I mean, I, it's not, uh, it's not perfect. Uh, but typically we can map out, um, pretty, pretty well, uh, the, the, the bigger issues that might be there that either might give us pause in terms of doing the deal or at least, at, you know, are, there are going to be notes around things we know we need to manage and uh, work through during the first uh, six, 12 months of, you know, post deal in terms of the actual integration and merger, um, you know, because it's important to know what those things are going to be. And if, if you know what they're going to be, you can kind of, you can have a plan and you can work through it um, and you can reduce some of the risk because um, it can be, it can be challenging. Yeah, it's a. I find I find these kind of deals very very interesting because um, you know, I've, and I've seen them. Uh, you know, I'd love you to comment on. It. I, I've seen them work. So first of all, in down economies, it's a great it's a great way to do deals because yeah. often uh, entrepreneurs who are out there who uh, uh, think they're doing okay, and in, in, and frankly, in a good economy, uh, good economy uh, covers up a lot of <laughs> problems yeah. and ills that that you may not realize, and yeah. then when things get tougher. Uh, you know, you find out your inefficiencies and where you're not strong and, and it, it, it comes home. So people are definitely open to those kind of deals from the, uh, you know, the joining side, from the being uh, aqua hired side, uh, yep. to use your phrase. Uh, but even in, even in good economies, you know, I, I find that uh, there are a certain number of people who go out there and listen, we know this. You and I have been entrepreneurs for a lot of years where we spent a lot of time with a lot of uh, entrepreneur folks from EO and other places. And, you know, there are some people who sort of figure out, hey, when you become an entrepreneur, you 
lose the ability to focus on what you were great at, what you loved and your particular craft, whatever that was. Now you got to run a business, you got to deal with people and you got to deal with cash flow, and you got to whatever. And and there's a certain percentage of people who just decide that they don't want to do all that stuff. They want to go back to what, you know, whatever it is. Uh, So, uh, you know, any thoughts on that and what you've seen in your, the companies you've coached and, you know, and any thoughts in general? Yeah. So, uh, you know, most of the time I'm being hired to, dramatically scale a company. We're looking at, you know, 50 to 100% or more uh, growth per year, you know, when I get involved. And, and honestly, one of the first questions I talk to leadership, you know, I'll sit down with the CEO, with the founder, you know, if they're running the company. And, you know, we have a kind of frank, honest conversation of do they really want to do this? Uh, because it, you know, growing the business is more than just about, you know, more, more revenue at the top of the, um, you know, top of the uh, uh, balance sheet. I mean, we're looking at, uh, really changing how the organization operates, and it's a change in what the leadership needs to do. And yeah, like you said, quite often, uh, I've, I've I've seen too many cases where, you know, the entrepreneur starts to grow the business and they stop having fun and they stop enjoying it. And uh, you know, best case scenario is they realize it and they either uh, stop growing and they they shrink it back to where they're having fun, uh, or they they you know look to um, you know monetize the value of the company and get back to starting something new. Uh, worst case scenario is they they get into a self-sabotage mode (laughs) kind of destroying the value they've created because they, you know, they don't really want to grow, but they're not aware enough around it to, to, you know, take a more productive option around it. And it is, it's an honest conversation where we just look at what is it, uh, what does it mean to grow and what is the leadership change uh, that, that a CEO needs to go through. Uh, And, you know, yes, you're, you're, you're now operating a company through other people and building out a leadership team. And, and that is a different kind of process um, and a different kind of work than, you know, if you're uh, a craftsman or a master uh, of a particular trade or a particular, um, you know, whether it's technology or design or, um, uh, you know, you will do less of the actual work. And if that is not, uh, if that's, if it's not something that you want, then scaling can be a really difficult uh, challenge. I think personally for, for the leader, for the CEO. So it, it's something I think you, you really need to, you know, have some hard conversation around and think about before you really embark on the scaling process because it's uh, it will impact you. You know, it, it, it makes me think about, I'm a fan of uh, Les uh, McEwen's book, uh, Predictable yeah. Success. And, yeah. you know, and and he talks about, uh, you know, after your startup phase, we have some challenges, whatever, it, you know, if you have some little success, you get to this phase that he calls fun. And and it's yeah. a, you know, it's a phase where, you know, things you start to get, the money's coming in, you sort of rock in and, you know, the visionary is, you know, is, is happy and they have somebody that he calls an operator. I won't get into his whole framework, yeah. but it's worth checking out uh, for our listeners. But, you know, and you, and you can operate in fun forever. Uh, uh, but it's not scalable. And then, you know, once you scale uh, and you try to get to what he calls predictable success, where you have a scaled business with systems and processes and, you know, the right team in place, et cetera, uh, you know, but but the, the phase he calls in between fun and uh, and predictable success, he calls whitewater. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason for that, right? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's that, that uh, we use that model a lot. And I think that, um, uh, and, and, you know, Les talks about this, but, I, you know, I, I see it in company again and again is you, you move into whitewater unless you have a plan to get through whitewater quickly uh, and into that predictable success. Uh, it's painful. Uh, and, and, you know, you will quickly, quickly want to get out of there. And if you don't have a plan for going forward, you will go backward uh, as quick as possible because it's not it's not a fun place to be. Uh, and, um, you know, not having a plan and then not really knowing that's what you're doing. I think that's a lot of it. I think people end up in whitewater, not even realizing that is what happened. And that's that's where some of the, 
the the more kind of unfortunate stories happen because they um you know it ends up eating away at uh at the value it ends up eating away at the culture of the company um and if they're lucky they can kind of come back to fun um you know worst case scenarios is they they actually skip fun and they won't go all the way back to the early struggle <laughs> after rebuild that's the right. business <laughs> that's right and, and it's interesting because you know we're talking about deals which is really where um you know we 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 focus uh, uh, you know in this podcast you know, deals can be a great way to help to scale, but but also deals can throw you into whitewater if you don't do it right. Yeah. And you're not prepared. I mean, you know, integrating technology, integrating culture, integrating people, you know, integrating new clients, integrating different systems. So, uh, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, in your code, when you work with clients, um, how do you how do you prepare these clients? Yeah. They look at it grow in general, but certainly through deals. You know, how do you prepare them so that their their journey through Whitewater? Because I'm because I, I I don't believe you can skip Whitewater, but 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 their journey through Whitewater is much you know much smoother, and they get and they get the predictable success uh, much more quickly. Yeah, I would say it's it's really speed. <laughs> it's like you're always going to go through hot water. You just want to go through it as fast as possible. I, I have a phrase that I love: when you when you find yourself in hell, uh, or when you find yourself going through hell, keep going. Right. right? It's like the last thing you want to do is get stuck there. So. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the things that I've uh, I've done with uh, clients uh, that are uh, thinking about being acquired uh, is uh, we have a conversation. We sit down and figure out what 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 money do they want in hand. Um, so I work through a worksheet with them, and I and we figure out what is, what is the amount of cash they they're going to get on signing in hand, walking away from the table uh, that will they would be completely happy with meaning that if they didn't get a single penny more if they uh didn't get their earn out if the uh you know the the bonuses performance bonuses and things like that never happened what would they still be happy with because i want to get them to a point where they are unattached to the future of the deal because once they do the deal you have basically lost control you're no longer really an entrepreneur um i mean even if you're taking some kind of voting shares or something like that you know if, if you're giving up majority majority control you um you, you now are kind of under the um uh, you, you've you've handed over your future to somebody else or to another group of people who are going to make decisions around it so in order to make that deal successful what i find is i want to get that that founder that ceo into a position where they are from a cash point of view happy because then they can deal with things. Um, what I find is hard or, or where it gets really stressful. And also ultimately I think people end up m- making difficult and sometimes uh, not so good decisions is when they are, are relying upon the future earnout of the deal um, to kind of make them happy about uh, the, the actual transaction. And uh, it just puts a huge amount of stress um, of, of uh, for the, for the entrepreneur now in this earnout period uh, to try to perform, uh, and I've seen you know I've seen entrepreneurs uh, do a deal and then uh, you know be miserable for uh, you know one two three years as I try to do their earnout, uh, but they have to because they still need the money. They still feel like they need the money to be able to have a successful transaction. Uh, and I think getting to that you know if you if you can figure out that number, it really allows you to make uh, make the transaction. Uh, in a very kind of neutral, uh, positive way and not worry about, well, what's going to happen afterwards because you just don't know at that point. That's great. And, and then from the side of the acquiring company, uh, you know, w- 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 what, what do they need to know on how to prepare on how to make a deal successful or integrate a deal properly and, and you know, make sure it works out from their point of view? Yeah, so it's, all, it's almost kind of the reverse is figuring out what, it, what is that entrepreneur um, – 
you know, what do they want to do? What drives them? Uh, what is the what what deal is going to make them happy so they can fully participate post transaction? The other thing, as I say, is like you you need to have a plan if you're going to be acquiring a company uh, that is uh, that is led by the founder, someone who uh, you know started the company. Uh, you kind of need to have a plan for that person not being there uh, long term or even midterm. You know, I'd say you you know you can count on them being there for six to twelve months. But you kind of need to have a plan if they don't want to stay on long term, because not every entrepreneur will successfully make that transition. So, you know, as an acquirer, I think that's just a a, a risk um, scenario that I, I want to make sure they have a plan for. It doesn't need to be the perfect plan, but I think they need to have a plan for how they're going to handle it. Um, in terms of evaluating uh, a deal, I certainly think looking at the cultural aspect of the company. So as I mentioned before, you know, you know, it's easy to kind of look at the skills and, you know, the, pro- the, you know, the products or the services or the assets and how it fits into the strategic plan, but really understanding how that company, how that, how the leadership and the company have, how they've made decisions, what they've prioritized, um, you know, that, that is going to be a huge impact to how well, uh, how quickly they integrate uh, from a day-to-day point of view into things. Um, you know, I think the, the, you know, every deal is different. And I think it's, um, you know, it's understanding really what the, the success factors for a particular transaction are going to be. And then looking at some, one of those, some of those variables and what's going to impact that and making sure you evaluate it. I think a lot of times it's, it's easy to look at it on paper. Um, and, uh, but you're, when you're dealing with people, um, you know, understanding how those people are going to interact is going to be important. Oh, that's great, Bruce. So any, any last uh, thoughts or words uh, before we uh, uh, just, uh, we're going to wrap up in a, in, on a couple of uh, final questions, but before that, any, any last thoughts or piece of advice or th- you think uh, that our listeners need to know about uh, either being on either side of deals or types of deals that you see out there that are helping companies grow? Yeah. I mean, look, I think that, um, you know, there's a deal for every situation, <laughs> you know, like as much as they're kind of these standard things, you know, I've seen really, really creative stuff done to, to deal with uh, unique situations, unique, uh, you know, desires, you know, people's plans. Uh, and I think really being willing and able to, um, you know, come to the table with, uh, you know, flexibility and creativity uh, can, can get a lot of things done that uh, I, you know, may not have thought could be done initially, but, you know, as people kind of work out and really, really get true to what they want to get out of it, both business wise and personally, uh, you're going to, I think you're going to see, you know, deals, structured deals that are structured in a way that's going to be successful for both parties. Um, And and don't get too attached, quite honestly. I think that's the other thing is I I see a lot of deals, uh, you know, you know, start uh, and then not happen. And people get, you know, very uh, frustrated and very kind of dejected from it. Uh, And I think you you go into every transaction, um, you know, with as much uh, detachment of any particular outcome as possible and be willing to kind of explore without it being kind of having to have happen. Because I think that that allows those things to uh, play out the the way they need to play out. Absolutely. I mean, listen, that's the second pillar of uh, my authentic negotiating framework, uh, you know, clarity, detachment and equilibrium. Yeah. Detachment yeah. is such a great thing to have in business. Yeah. And so, Bruce, uh, listen, uh, you know, I know you, you've been so uh, successful in the past and you you work with some great clients now to help them grow and be successful. So, you know, if, if people want to find out more about you, where do they contact you? And also you also have a couple of great podcasts. So let people know about those as well. 
Yeah, sure. Well, if you want to know more about me, uh, it's pretty simple. It's uh, Eckfeldt.com. That's E-C-K-F as in Frank, E-L-D-T.com. That's my website. Uh, it talks a little bit about the work that I do with clients and, and coaching. And then, yes, as you mentioned, I've got two podcasts, one called Scaling Up Services, uh, which is all about service-based businesses. Uh, and the other one is Thinking Outside the Bud. Uh, so I work with several cannabis companies, uh, fascinating market with a lot of deals going on right now. Uh, and that's all about innovation in the cannabis space. Uh, um, so feel free to check out either one of those. Uh, they're, 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 that's, there's some great interviews, uh, people talking about transactions, talking about what it takes to successfully scale and grow companies. So, um, yeah, I encourage people to check them out. Oh, that's great. You should definitely check those out, folks. Uh, so uh, final, final question, Bruce, and, and you yeah. can answer this in, in whichever way you'd like uh, in terms of your business or, you know, as a coach, you see this in other businesses or both. Um, so how do you make sure, how do you make sure you, for your business or your client's business that the deals you do and the way that they scale and grow stay authentic to who you or in your client's case they are? Yeah, I think it's a good one. I, you know what? I think, um, uh, the one thing that I always encourage people to do is sit with it for a little while. Uh, I think people get very kind of wrapped up in uh, the, the kind of the, the excitement or the froth of the deal. Uh, and I always say, you know, it's like taking, taking an evening, to, you know, going, doing something else. Uh, let your subconscious kind of mull things over a little bit and pay attention to the emotions, you know, pay attention to what's happening for you emotionally. Cause that's a good guide typically around how something is fitting with your sort of bigger set of values and your bigger picture. Uh, and you know, if something's, if, if your gut is telling you something, I say, pay attention. Uh, it may not be clear exactly what it is, but there's something there you need to kind of dig into. Um, you know, I just find that it's, it's a, it's such a good indicator on if it's, if it's a right thing to continue with or not. That's great, Bruce. Thank you so much for bringing on the, being on the show, my thank friend. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, this was a pleasure. And thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. And remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those who don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals. And then they take action. See everybody next week. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at FuelingDeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.